on this episode of Eating Out with Eric and Steve. Lucy Davis's track record in TV is pretty goddamn flawless. Oh, it's amazing, yeah. It's amazing. It's a wonder she's eating with us. I, well, I must admit, I probably won't stay the whole time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Clint, it's your close-up. You sure you don't want to go again? Was I in focus? Yeah. <laughs> then we're fine. Moving on. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 love I, love that. I love that. That is a lot of phlegm, that, boy. It's a lot of phlegm and a <laughs> lot of shoulder. <laughs> a lot of shoulder and phlegm. Weird. Chewing the fat over this and that. Saying things you wouldn't believe. We're swallowing, we're spitting, we're joking and we're kidding. We're eating out with Eric and Steve. Good day to you. Um, Good day to you, buddy. Brother. I said brother Brother? and buddy at the same time and it came out bruddy. Which is now now your new name. Uh, Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Eating Out with Eric and Steve, the show that asks the question... Who really wants to eat with actors? <laughs> That's right. To to paraphrase Mel Brooks, uh, you know, actors aren't animals. Oh, really? Have you ever eaten, ever with, eaten one? with one? Have you ever eaten with one? It's true. I mean, I think the answer is only other actors. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Because they if you if it. you've ever been to like one of those fundraisers, I know you have a fundraiser where civilians get to sit with actors at, at a table and 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 raise money and eat with them. I mean the the. The excitement in their faces lasts for about 40 seconds. And then they realize that all you're going to do is talk about yourself and look around and not pay any attention to them and generally act like an asshole. I was once at a table with Lou Ferrigno and he, (laughs) I was thrilled that uh, I was near Lou Ferrigno. Sure. But he could not give, he couldn't care one whit that he was with me, Stephen Weber. All right, so Stephen and I decided a long time ago that as much fun as we have eating together, wouldn't it be better to eat with other actors? And uh, we have a, a two fantastic ones today, two English ones today. That's right. Um, so let's see how long you and I can go without <clears throat> putting on terrible English accents. It's, 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 it's going to be a competition. Be long at all. <laughs> it's not going to be long at all. <laughs> Our first guest, I've known for 20 years. I think Stephen's known as, as longer, longer. But uh, you've heard us speak on this program of the CADS, the Character Actors Dining Society, which started really one night with Stephen and I, our friend Spencer Garrett, and this incredible guy who uh, I realized I met 20 years ago, probably this month. 20 years ago this month, we were at, I was at LAX with my infant son, and we were in a lounge, and I saw... Fred and I said, I've got to meet him. I went over and introduced myself. And the first thing Fred said to me was, do you mind if I smell your baby's head? (laughs) And I said, beg your pardon? He said, I just love the smell of a baby's head. And my daughter won't let me smell it anymore because she's in her late 20s. (laughs) And so uh, (laughs) I fell in love. uh, And he did smell my son Finn's head. And it was the first moment where I got to meet someone who I have loved on screen and eventually when I saw him on stage, fell in love all over again. Um, One of the great actors of our time, our friend Fred Molina. Fred, welcome to Eating Out with Eric and Steve. 
Thank you. Thank you. What a joy. What a joy this is. Thank you very much. And that's the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, when I met Fred for the first time, we were in a, a, a lounge, but at adjoining urinals. And he said to me the same thing. May I smell your baby's head? He said. Uh, so don't feel so Because special. that's what they call it over there. Stephen, now, will, you will you please introduce our other guest? I would be honored. Um, this actor, actress, is uh, also from Blighty, the UK, where she uh, became very well known in the um, the Office, the original version of the Office, which is renowned world over. She has also appeared in Shaun of the Dead. She is um, known for having been in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and also Wonder Woman for crying out loud. So we have two members of competing superhero universes on this show. But I fell in love with her on a little show <laughs> I like to call Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. And um, That's what where it was we called. met and um, we, I, feel, I feel like we bonded. You can say, no, we didn't. Not that we had very much to do with each other, but we, we spotted each other and and I, I think immediately liked each other, and I, I've always loved what she's done. And I'm talking, of course, about Lucy Davis, the miraculous Lucy, Lucy Davis. Hi, I had so many interjections throughout that whole thing. I, I was know. like, I don't know if I'm allowed to speak until my name has been said. That's right. I don't know the podcast world, but here I am. <laughs> We don't know you're speaking too much now. See, now you just I think these two make up the rules as they go along. Yeah. We totally sort of. do. <laughs> we totally do. So the only rules of this one, as as we've told you, as our burgeoning audience has learned, is this is about eating together. So we uh, we're eating. So I'd like to find out what you guys are actually eating today. What are, what are you eating right now? Well, um, I'm eating some Spanish rice with some mm. fish. And a kind of Asian cabbage salad with a little bit of plain yogurt. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I too am eating fish. I'm eating last night's salmon um, with, with last night's I love salad. leftovers. Yeah, it's leftovers. Mm -hmm. It's a leftover lunch. What about you, Lucy? What are you eating? Uh, I made a vegan chicken salad, like a coleslaw, and then a veganaise and sweet earth chicken, onions, and a sunflower seeds. Protein. That is very vegan. God. That's the most vegan. I'm not 100% vegan. I'm vegetarian, but I try very hard to be vegan. Well, what are you eating, Stephen? Uh, I, I guess subconsciously, because I knew uh, I had two um, English people on, Ooh. I'm eating a plate of sausages, all right? <laughs> that I'm, that I'm and I, I really, I swear to God, I didn't do it consciously. But, uh, you know, I've been an Anglophile for decades. I mean, all my life. This is the I man, guess. this is the man who, before we became really good friends, you know, we sort of knew each other, as, as, as uh, Stephen said, he phones me out of nowhere and says he's just been cast in a play in New York and he's playing a Brit. And he wanted to know if I'd come over for lunch, just to go through the script with him, maybe, you know, give him a few pointers, you know, where the accent's not as good as it could be. And I thought, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So I turn up at this beautiful house and uh, Stephen's there and we were chatting. He, he made this lovely lunch. We had this lovely lunch. And then, he's, then I said, should we, uh, maybe you should look at the script. He then starts reading through the script with, and I'm not exaggerating, 
with an absolutely pinpoint perfect English accent. Wow. And I'm, wow. And I'm sitting there going, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> wow. you know, apart, apart from enjoying a free lunch, which uh, goes, <laughs> goes to show that there is such a thing as a free lunch in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reality, the reality was that I had done English accents twice professionally, and I was about to do it the second time with you on that production of The Philanthropist that I yeah. asked you to come over to help me with. I had done a movie called Dracula Dead and Loving It years before. And yes, it was a patently comic, very broad film. But I really wanted to, Anglophile that I am, I really wanted to to do this accent perfectly. And it was terrible. I mean, I was only eked out by the infamous um, Dick Van Dyke accent. <laughs> I mean, it was so terrible. I was so embarrassed so that I really did not want to take any chances but i was i was amazed that you came over and it was really incredibly helpful but thank you for saying oh yeah well it was it was it's funny because i think there was a time when american actors generally had more of an issue with the british accents but yeah. in my experience and i'm you know quite a bit older than all of you but in my experience british actors have found the american accent a little easier but not because we're especially gifted in that way i think it's because when we were younger there was so much American product yeah. on British TV. Yeah. I mean, yeah. half the shows we watched and grew up with came from right. the States. Mm. I can remember playing, you know, when I was a kid, I can remember playing in the street with my mates and we'd be playing, you know, cowboys and and we and we'd be doing cops and robbers and we'd and we'd steal dialogue from TV shows that we were watching and we would all do it with American so accents. True. You know, 100%. Head them off at the pass, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you got me. Call the cops, you know, all that kind of thing. <laughs> For me it was it was the opposite. For me it was Python. Uh, I mean, uh, all, all right. of my all of my English accents are are some version of one of the five of them, you know. That yeah. was uh, that, and, yeah. and we had it being in Canada, we had it earlier I think than than the right. states, so my uh, um, American accent is not good. I don't know why. I, I, I'm I'm good at almost any other accent in the world. In the world, except wow. this. And then when I start, I tend to sound like Christopher Guest naming nuts in Best in Show. <laughs> and I just literally, unless I, unless that's my lines, <laughs> unless that is the, the speech, yeah. I'm screwed. Have you ever had to do it professionally though? Lucy? Yes, but you would watch it and be forgiven for thinking that I was British. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the very first time I had to do a casting in American accent, which was about 18, 17 years ago. I went in, I worked really hard and I had a coach and I was <sighs> everywhere. And um, I went into the casting and I did it and they were like, oh, that's amazing. Could you do it again in American accent? And so I realized from then oh. on that I couldn't. And I tried over the years. I had many coaches. I like to blame all of them, not me. And um, I couldn't do it. The one time I got to do uh, an English accent professionally, it was a, t a show. I don't know if you remember this show, Stephen. It was called The Hat Squad. It lasted on on ABC for about a year. Was it like in, a crime? It was, was 92. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was about three guys that were, were brothers, and their father had been a police detective, and now they're all detectives. And they wore hats from the 30s for no reason. I mean, it was a really dumb, <laughs> really dumb Stephen J. Cannell show. But I got to be... Basically, one of the Cray brothers. I was basically an English oh, mobster, with, wow. and we were we dressed well, and we would assassinate people, and then we would rate our kills with playing cards. You know, if we shot a guy in the back, that was too easy, so we just we give ourselves a three, <laughs> and then I'd if, if somebody had been a real firefight, and I and I and I'd give myself an eight, and my brother would be like, 
That was not an eight. And I said, that damn well was an eight. It was, uh, it was hysterical. We had the most fun. And you could see the three guys in the show. Do an English we're accent hating. now. Do it. Do what you just said. Oh, you see? Time. it's a, we're, so, we're so mean to each other. I'm kidding. That's the thing. We're mean to each other. We're and and like, I, I'm trying to think of like American or Canadian actors that, that get away with it or got away with it routinely. And I think I can think of Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. and, Robert, yeah. and Robert Downey. And it's like very few other North American actors are asked to or allowed to. Renee Zellweger, um, I thought. Renee Zellweger, really Renee did, did yeah. a great job. Yeah. Bridget Jones. They were very yeah. good as well, right? Alfred, yeah. did you yeah. think they yeah, were? Yeah. yeah, I think I, so, yeah. And, and also, um, so, uh, wasn't it, there was a lovely, um, oh, there was got um, Gosforth Park. Oh, the yeah, the Robert Altman. Alessandro Nivola. Yeah, that's Who's it. Who's an American oh, yeah. accent? I mean, American actor. He does a great English yeah. accent. Yeah, I don't think it's an issue anymore. I mean, I know, I, I remember a time, you know, because I'm old, I remember a time on the London stage listening to British actors doing, you know, when when they did productions of, say, Arthur Miller or, yeah. you know, Tennessee yeah. Williams. It was always so English. It was always, you know, sort mm. of, uh, and the accents were really kind of hit and miss. I remember seeing... Michael Gambon in a production of mm. uh, View from the Bridge. Mm. And the performance was sensational. I mean, he was just terrifying as Eddie Carpo. I mean, really big and loud. It just came on and totally, completely commanded every scene that he was in. But, I mean, you know, it was like Eddie Carbone from, you know. Yeah, Brixton. Yeah, it was. Or wherever Michael's from. Right. But in a way, yeah. I think the whole accent thing became a little bit of a little bit of a fetish. But now that actors who come from a particular ethnic background can actually play that at right. more accurately now, I think it's become less of a thing because now you've got actors who can do that accent because it's their right. accent. You know, we, yeah. we don't have to. I think the days are over when. Uh, you know, us three would get cast as Afghan warlords. Those days are over. <laughs> I still have time. It'll it'll come back around. I want to see Lucy <laughs> Davis's Afghan warlord. Yeah, Lucy's still got a way in with Afghan yeah, warlords. Thank you. you. <laughs> I'm down to the last three, so don't jinx it. <laughs> I saw. I was in London in '91, and I saw a production of Our Town. And the narrator, the, uh, the host of, of the play, was Alan Alda, which was fantastic. In England. In London. In yeah. London. But uh-huh. everybody else in the show was English doing American accents, which probably I wouldn't uh. have noticed except Alan Alda's about as American as you can get. And yeah. it, was, it kind of gave truth to the lie a little bit. But, I mean, look, <laughs> let this be the last word on this subject. But All right. Alfred Molina's accent in Boogie Nights was really Ooh. right on. And I, th- I was just watching that recently. I think I posted a, a photograph of, of Fred screaming, maniacally holding a, a gun, you know, with his robe open in that scene when, you know, his... And that was just a rehearsal. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> so good and terrifying. It is an extraordinary and it, scene. Yeah, extraordinary. Well, but your accent is, is flawless. Well, thank you. I mean, they, they are great fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know you wanted that to be the last word, so I'll shut up. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, but Fred, you're doing a show in Canada, uh-huh. shooting in Montreal. And you, are you doing a, a French-Canadian accent or not? No, no. I'm glad you brought that up because it was quite an interesting um, dilemma. He's French-Canadian, but he was educated in England. And in the books, he's described as having a British accent. Ah. So I thought, oh. Perfect. This is like, you know, but it's such an in kind of detail for people who haven't read the books. Right. Which is going to be the majority of the audience, we presume and hope. For them, it's going to be confusing. 
Mm. It's, you're right. just going to look lazy at that point. Why is this French Canadian suddenly sounding like yeah. he's just come off the boat from, you know, Milton Keynes? So then we thought, well, let's make it more mid-Atlantic. So I tried to make it a little more French. I tried to make it a little more French-Canadian, which is an almost impossible accent. Really I failed miserably at that. Then we tried to make it more just general. So in the end, we ended up with basically a kind of nondescript North American accent. You know, so which, you gave up, in other words, you just gave yeah. up. We, 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 kind of, we kind of gave in, yeah. I mean, because we, we weren't able, I, I wasn't able to fulfill the brief. I got like 89% there. You know. But here's the thing, I, and this is something that maybe your uh, podcast audience might enjoy to know, and this is something I would never tell producers, but my record in television is less than stellar. <laughs> Let's say I've done loads of pilots. I've done loads of series, Uh-oh. but nothing's ever gone beyond one season. But Uh-oh. don't tell, don't tell Amazon that, that right? because they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll cancel me. Now Lucy Davis has Lucy Davis's track record in TV is pretty goddamn flawless. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah, it's amazing. Ooh, it's a wonder I mean, she's eating with us. I, well, I must admit. I probably won't stay the whole time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I, here's a question. If we were really in a restaurant right now, mm-hmm. the four of us, and we were having this conversation, and you could order anything, what, what would be your absolute first choice of, of a meal anywhere, any, any type of food? A main course or a starter or a dessert? Uh, whole thing, name your name. your name, Ooh, name it all. Oh, my God. Well, for me, it would probably be... It would probably be Italian, yeah, or maybe second choice, maybe Japanese, mm. yeah. And I don't mean Italian American cooking. I don't mean yes. you know sort of chicken palm and you know spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. I mean like good, you know, good Italian food. That that'd yeah. be my thing. in Tuscany outdoors. That in Tuscany be, outdoors, uh, yes, uh, the with, best. Uh, with a waiter who doesn't feel obliged to sing opera. <laughs> <laughs> For the tourists. <laughs> and, and also doesn't carry, doesn't carry a four-foot-long pepper mill. <laughs> how do you remember how that? Do you remember, do you remember that? that in Italian restaurants? Yeah. Years, it used to be the thing. Yeah. It got bigger and bigger 80s, as the years went by. They'd be these fucking peppercorns like that. I said, you might as well shape it like a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why pretend, you know? <laughs> and I always feel when it's that big that I'm not asking for enough. You know, they'll say, is, is that enough? Like, no, you should keep going. Really, I, 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 I brought it all the way going, over here. Going. It took keep three going. of you. 20 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Salt? No, God, no, we're good. We're good. I, you know, I was going to go. I was going to go uh, sushi because a great sushi is my favorite thing. But when right. I think and about Vancouver, please, Vancouver, best sushi yeah. in America, in North well, Although America, I'm very partial to to the sushi in LA, like just down the street from our house, there's uh, some of the the guys that came over, um, like Yuzu, uh, what was it, Yuzu, and uh, and um, the guy that created uh, the the popular one there on Ventura. Oh, Nozawa, Nozawa, uh, sushi Nozawa. All these these guys that came over as young men in the early seventies kind of created that particular kind of uh, sushi style. I yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, but when I think about Tuscany and eating outdoors, I go crazy. Um, mm. what, what, what about you, Lucy? What vegan meal would you have? <laughs> I, um, <laughs> That's right. I actually love Indian food. I love yes. Indian flavors. Um, I will kind of even if I'm with the with the vegan chicken salad, I shoved a load of different curry, turmeric powders in it. 
events. Um, in fact, in Vancouver, I used to a lot go to meet MWT. Um, it's a vegan restaurant that um, has been. quite a few of them. Have you been? Do you yeah. like it? Yeah, I, I did. And I didn't realize. We went there after, I don't know, after some afternoon event and got burgers. And I didn't realize till I'd eaten the burger that we were in a vegan restaurant. I had no idea. Oh, oh, so it was that yeah. good. Uh, that's a, that's an endorsement. Yeah, it is. I used to have the mac and cheese with butter chicken on the top, mm. and they did great old fashions. I, I my uh-huh. drink is bourbon, so I I would have their old fashions there, and I loved them. Um, and it was like a five minute walk from my apartment, so really, I don't need anything else. Stephen, what's Steve? your what's your go to? Just some clear broth with like a, just a little bit of a little bit of salt. Long dish of a, water. It's yeah. a warm, tepid, a little cloudy, yeah. and that's oh. it. That's yeah. all. And if it's a special occasion, a glass of Manischewitz. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a glass of Manischewitz, the sweetest, thickest red yeah. wine I can find. My friend Paul, growing up, his father was a doctor in a relatively small town and beloved, and every Christmas was given bottles of wine by all of his patients, and he never drank them. He wasn't a drinker. And, and Paul realized at the age of 17 that he could go and steal all this stuff from the, the closet downstairs, so bottle by bottle he'd take them to parties, and all his friends would get drunk, and then he would just fill them up with grape juice and kind of try to put the cork back in. And who's, who's going to notice? And years later, he said, I got to tell you, I got to confess something to you. You're not going to care because they're just sitting there. But I drank all that wine before I was 18 with all my friends. And, and it's, I filled it with grape juice. And he said, oh, my God, I re-gifted all of those bottles. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's very funny. Oh, uh, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's genius. That's great. That's oh, that's great. Lucy, can I ask you something? Okay, so yeah. I, I'm a I'm a Marvel junkie. I'm a and so when you know when mm. when all the stuff was coming out for Spider Man and Fred, when I saw Fred in the trailers, I got I so love excited. Spider Man movies. I love, love those so movies. Much. And yeah. then when I saw when I saw Wonder Woman and I saw you, I was thrilled. I know oh, her. Fantastic. I know her. I know her. <laughs> and now you're you uh, or I don't know if you're still doing it, but you did the villains of Valley View. Here's where I'm terrible. So I love doing the job. I love being on the set doing the thing, and then I never watch it. Yeah. I don't look it up. I don't look me up. Yeah. I have no idea how it's doing. Well, it you're one have, of those actors. Yeah. It could have been off air by now, and I don't know. <laughs> I, so, um, But you must have seen but, Wonder Woman. Well, I saw it because, yes, yeah, so they have a, yeah. the premiere. You're so, you're so much fun in that. That's kind. Thanks. I loved, loved it. Loved it. We got to do, normally I would hate this, we got to do 30 takes for every, wow. 30, 40 takes for every setup. And um, normally I wouldn't like that i'm like very um of an improv world like let's move on let's move on and um so i struggle a little bit with the multicam world of the days of rehearsal i'm like is this still funny why are we not like changing it (laughs) and um which the villains uh, of valley view is that's a that's that's a multi-camera yeah yeah Yeah, it's my first one yeah and um oh first first one that got picked up so, yeah, um, with Wonder Woman, when we did it time and time again, Patty Jenkins, who was directing, every time was different. She would get everyone to play out almost like a different emotion, be really pissed off with her now. Now I love this. Now this is really wow. crying. Now this is really angry. So then she can take and piece together her story because the budget was there and, and the time was there. We, I mean, I remember the last day of filming, we, we did seven-eighths of a page for the entire day. 
and we were filming in um, Trafalgar Square in London, which was mad. I thought that was magical for me. And um, we went- In period, and- right? In period, mean, it was World War One. Oh, yeah, so fantastic. It was. And I remember it was the last day of filming Wonder Woman for me. And we were filming the end of the film where um, Steve Trevor, Chris Pine's character, he's already died and we are on Armistice Day of World mm. War One. And so there's me, there's Gal Gadot, there's the rest of the cast. We're in this scene with hundreds and hundreds of extras. It's magical. I get to lunchtime and I see a text from my mom that my grandma passed away and she was 101. And I took myself off and I I was very close to my grandma and I cried. And the only person I told was my makeup artist because we had to do my face. And I said, don't tell anyone else because I've got to get through the the day. So I went back on. I'm, I'm this kind of person anyway. I don't know how you feel, but I come on. We're walking through Trafalgar Square among hundreds of people. And in my head, I went, are you aware of me yet, Nan? And this light came down so strong. It was a gray, drizzly, wet day. And we had to stop filming. And our DP and Patty came out of the tent. They were like, what's just happened? What happened? She, Patty has it still on tape. And, um, and I just thought, yeah, she's, uh, I, I love wow. that. Um, and so I managed to get through the day with that. And then at the end, I realized that my grandma had never met her dad until she was four because he was fighting in World War One, and she met him on Armistice Day, wow. which is the day, day that we were wow. filming. So I just really liked the story. That's beautiful. That's amazing. I went off book. No matter no matter what I've done uh, with television or stage, uh, my my grandparents don't seem to take any interest from from <laughs> the great beyond. Is not I get nothing. I get nothing. You never um, know. They might be. Yeah, Something falls maybe. off the wall behind you, Eric, as we speak. You know they are. <laughs> you said something interesting, Lucy, that, I got, that I, I'm curious to hear everybody's take on this, particularly uh, you, Fred, as a theater actor. The idea of you do 30 takes because the director is going to piece your performance together. I have always been so... I, I shouldn't be. I should look at that as a good thing. They'll, they'll take the best of me and create something that I couldn't do. And, but there's a part of me, the control freak in me, mm. goes crazy about that. I can't stand the idea that, um, cry this take, sc- uh, scream the next take, and laugh the a third one, and I'll, I'll put it together as something. Seems so, it seems like so much trust to put in someone uh, that it's it's always been hard for me. Is that is that something that you like, you guys, when, when somebody says... Just trust me. If I'll it's make the right it work person in, in that editing. You trust, yeah. I think it all. I, I think it all depends. Each case is different. It, it depends yeah. on the director. Depends yeah. on the circumstances. Yeah. The other actors that you're working with. I mean, I didn't go in front of a camera of any sort for the first five or six years of my career. Right. I mean, I did. I just worked in the theatre, and what I learned very quickly from working and talking with older actors at the time was they were always, they would always say things to me like, well, you know, um, TV belongs to the writers, movies belong to the director, theatre belongs to us. You know, this is our thing. And, and, you know, when, when the show's open, the director goes off and it's up to the actors to keep the show in a good shape and keep it as good as it will always be. And so it kind of, there's a different, we have a different emotional and professional relationship with that sort of work. And I learned very quickly that, you know, I remember a wonderful phrase that uh, a very famous English actor said, which was, we do films for the money, we do TV for the fame, 
but theatre is really where the work really is. And, mm. and, and I kind of took that to heart a little bit. So now if I'm working with a, a director that wants to do what you just described, you know, give me it this way, give it to me that way, and I'll put it all together, I just do it. Because I think, well, this is this is this is their gig. Mm. I'm here yeah. to serve that. But we all have tools. We all have our little things that we like to do when we work. You know, little ways we like to prepare and so on. But I think they're just tools. And the danger is when those tools become mm. philosophy. When right. you know, I mean, there's that wonderful that wonderful sequence in Tootsie, which I think every actor, yeah. every every actor training should watch. You got to work. When you got to work. His agent is giving him a hard time about mm-hmm. how you know. You spent 25 minutes talking about, you know, you got pissed off because the director wouldn't let you improvise when you were when you were playing a, <laughs> a, tomato. a, 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 a tomato. And he goes, yeah, but I was a great tomato. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I always think of that because it's... You I did a whole evening of vegetables <laughs> off Broadway that knocked <laughs> critics on their ass! That's right. <laughs> but, you know, you enter into a different kind of I creative agreement every time you go to a different... A project, you know, the, and yeah. also there's a there's sort do. of like a, a creative hierarchy that's different every time. You know, sometimes you're just a pawn, right? Yeah. And that's the way to be. And sometimes you're given some agency. I mean, I from from doing probably way too much TV, I'm hungry to be to be kind of utilized by uh, some mm. director, some creative force that is 100%. going to take the time to do thirty yeah. takes with me. I, I remember being yeah. totally. Um, shocked at seeing an actor like, um, I know people have worked with De Niro, and we hold him very highly, obviously, who apparently has often, when working with Scorsese, done, maybe this is apocryphal, done one word 40 times. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So to give Thomas right. Schoonmacher and, and uh, Martin Scorsese all the pieces they need to assemble Right. A great performance. You yeah. Know? Uh, so yeah. it's strange. That's a kind of trust that, I, and I think you said, you know, you work so long in TV. When I first started doing TV up in Canada a little bit, but then it, when I got to LA, it was stuff like, what was that show called? Shiny Stockings or Silk Stockings. Silk Stockings. Uh, or, or, oh, stockings um, spelled with an L. Yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> or Diagnosis Murder or whatever. So <laughs> nobody on those shows is going to direct you a whole lot. No. I remember. I actually asked a director on Diagnosis Murder, I said, you know, the the way this one speech is written, it doesn't really connect with the first thing that I said in the scene that introduced me. (laughs) He looked at me and said, yeah, nobody's going to care about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. I don't watch watch the things I do, too, because it is so out of my hands. It's so, it goes to so many other people that even if I feel that I've gotten something, it's usually been excised for time mm-hmm. or rhythm or something, yeah. so it's not sort of not worth it in a way. You're sitting there waiting for that bit you know you did that was just going to be amazing. Right. Everyone's going to cry. Yeah. And then there's like, they've, they've, you know, actually put the shot on a toaster while you're yeah. like, <laughs> right. raping over here. <laughs> yeah. Your big That's speech right. and it's over your shoulder on yeah. the other person <laughs> reacting. And you're yeah. like, well, how dumb. That's right. <sighs> Maybe that's why so many of us kind of, you know, it always drift back to theatre work because when you have that moment like, oh, shit, that didn't work, you've got a chance to go back the next night and and get it right, you know, or -hmm. or, or do it better. You know, I I think there's a – that's, for me, all the struggle with trying to adapt to different directors, different modes, you know, different um, uh, ways of work and different disciplines, that's all part of the the fun of it, I think. You know, it's – it is. Bring yourself to it and then 
serve it, you know, and, and it kind of, I find that it saved me from getting, apart from one of one time when I, it didn't save me from getting completely disheartened by a job. I've always managed to find a way of, of making it count somehow. Lucy, were you uh, were you a national? Where, where did you go to school? In, or were you I, strictly out of I, the, the improv? I room? went to a drama college. I I left early. It wasn't for me when I was there. I won't like diss it really now. But anyway, um, where'd you go? I went to Italia Conti, ah. and and it was a new actors course. And um, the Italia Conti isn't new; it's been going forever. But more for uh, performing arts, dance, blah blah. blah. It wasn't for me. It's fine. I, well, don't I, feel bad. I <laughs> failed my audition for Italia Conti. Oh, that's why it isn't good. <laughs> I was thirteen years old. You wow, Felt really? Oh my! What did you gosh. do for your uh, for your audition? I think I sang something from My Fair Lady. I think. I've oh, no, yeah, yeah, I yeah. sang. Um, I have often. Walked, I have often walked down the street before, but the pavement's always dead. Um, yeah, I was just desperate to get out of my school, and my mother thought right. it was a good idea. Right. Did you but, go somewhere else instead, or did you yeah, just... I went back. I went back to secondary school, and then when I was a bit oh. older, I went to drama. I went. I went okay. to drama school. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's the first show you can remember seeing? A theater show that was the one. You're six. You're eight. You're ten. Whatever. Whatever. What was the show in London or wherever that made you go? Holy crap! I have to do that. That's me. I'm. This is my world. I love seeing theater. I'm. I don't love doing it. Ah. I just keep being asked to speak up. <laughs> I just, I can't. I don't, I don't know if they're gonna. At the end of this podcast, they're gonna go. We can't hear you on the microphone, and I'm like this. So, uh, so Alfred will have better stories. I did. Uh, my dad in England is is well known. He's a stand up comedian. Jasper and, um, Garrett. Yes, yeah. And um, uh, so I was kind of a little bit around this world right. if you like and I saw him do comedy and I was a- around a lot of tv comedy people and I just loved it and I loved anything I-, I am the person in real life the inappropriate person that will take anything and go but it's also funny right <laughs> I know she's dead but and and so I will be able to find uh, in my head and I've learned to stop speaking but I I tend to find things funny so that's really where I came at it from and right. I do love theatre, but not so much doing it. Alfred, what was yours that you first saw? I wish I could say, yes, I saw Peter Brooks' Midsummer Night's Dream and it changed my life. I did see that and it was amazing. Uh, but no, the thing that made me suddenly go, oh, yeah, this is this is it, was a little boulevard comedy uh, called Any Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I think it may have even enjoyed a short Broadway run, mm. but it was certainly right. a hit in London. I must have been about 10 or 11. It was like uh, 63, 64, something like that. And it was a, a farce. I don't remember much about the plot. All I remember is that there was the most incredible waves of laughter, just like these cascades of of laughter, tsunamis of laughter that I was like, I was all feeling all around me. I was too young, I think, to really enjoy the jokes myself, mm. you know, because they were all right. a bit kind mm. of ad- adult. But I could feel this energy, people's bodies heaving as they were yeah. laughing, and you could feel it through the row that the seat was shaking, you know, and the noise and, and the joy. And I just remember thinking, this, at some somewhere, I just kind of went, yeah, this is this is it. This is, uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to be, yeah, exactly. I want yeah. to be part of that. 
You know, there yeah. is a there is a visceral component to theater. I mean, it sounds almost oh, elitist yeah. and kind of prissy, but it, it it's so true it, that uh, it, no matter what it kind sounds of sounds prissy the way you say it, Steve. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Thank you. Do it in an English accent, Steve. Dad. Oh wait, Fred. Sorry. <laughs> the first big show I ever saw was the original production of Hair in New York. I think oh, it'd been wow, it was in its maybe second second year. So must, I must have been about 10 or 11. Wow. And at the end, the audience was exhorted to go onto the stage and dance with everybody to, you know, let the sunshine, let the sunshine in. And it was the first time I was on a big stage and it was raked. And I was <laughs> kind of thrown by it. I was freaked out by it. But I was. this was in a Broadway house on a raked stage. And I was immersed. I mean, it was really like being shot through with some yeah. amazing oh, yeah. drug. You know, there that is something hurt. that happens to you on stage that doesn't quite occur, at least for me, in front of a camera. It's much harder on, on, a, on a sound stage with a camera with people standing around. It's much easier to, to free yourself and kind of, um, you know, become involved in this communal moment you know this communal right. event i'm sure I eric wish i could feel like that though i don't i yeah. wish i could because i hear it from other people and i'm I sorry you'll have to speak up i cannot hear what you're saying <laughs> oh steven you'll pay for that <laughs> i will too yeah i but so my first i realized that my first play that i saw that mattered was one i said to, uh, to my mother I want to take dad to this play. I was 12 years old and it was The Ooh. Odd Couple with Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. They had wow. just finished the the TV show and they took it out on on tour. And and so I'm we had the worst seats in the house, the back of the place, but it didn't matter. I was seeing television actors on stage. It was also so magical, but I realized shortly after that I saw I saw like a local theater community show of Harvey and then a few years later, I saw uh, some young people doing a show. But in each of those two cases, as soon as I saw the show, I walked up to, I guess, the stage manager and went, mm. how, do I, how do I be in this? What do I do? No. And, and, and I was 14, and then I was uh, 17 the second time. And it, 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 I was so drawn to it. I was so drawn to I have to. I, it wasn't not so much even though I was watching the audience as much as I was going, whatever those guys are doing, they're having way more fun than me up there. I, I have to be part of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's it's the best expression I feel of what we're trained to do, uh, you know, and, and we're lucky enough to be working, and that's fantastic. But again, the theater experience was something that I never forgot and can't forget, and am hungry to do more of because it's so elemental, you know. It really it, there's such um, a feeling of connection. It's so much deeper for me. Yeah. Uh, when people come to see it, even even if it's a light farce or something, everybody's in the same room at the same time, and you connect to the the material, and the material connects to you, and then you all connect to the audience, and they're connecting to it, no. and something kind of amazing can happen. It's naked too. I mean, there we yeah. there are, we know there are actors on on television or in films that perhaps aren't. Uh, God's gift to the to the craft, but the, you know the right shot, the right director, the right set—they sure. can they can yeah. be giant stars. Whereas on stage, you you're there. It's it's. I, I told this story actually the last podcast we did, uh, Fred. I was talking about um, Cherry Orchard that you did. At, oh yeah, um, yeah. The one at the one uh, at the at the taper at the taper. And I was just, I mean, it was a lovely production. It was a lovely, lots of Chekhovian acting going on. It was terrific. And then you walked on stage 
And everything changed because of who you are, of, of, of the kind of the, the rooted confidence that you have as a stage actor. And it was, I don't mean this as a slight to anybody else, but everybody else suddenly sort of seemed a little bit like they were acting. And you yeah. were so natural. It was shocking. It, it was really inspirational to me. Well, obviously the checks arrived. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. I remember being told that you were there, Eric, because at the time really? we had the same manager. We did have the same manager, uh, Joan um, Hyland. Joan Hyland. And, uh, and uh, I remember she came backstage uh, after that evening. She was in the th- she was mm. in the audience that evening. I probably heard. And I she remember. came and she yeah. came backstage, and she she just happened to mention that you were there, which I was thrilled about. And and it was really interesting because I love the theatre for all the reasons that you've just cited, Eric, in terms of you know what it feels like and what it takes to to get there and all that stuff. But the other thing that I love about it is the tribalism of it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've always really, I mean, I always refer to actors as the tribe, you know, my tribe, you know, and and it's become a thing now in the house with Jennifer, my wife, who, you know, when I go to work, she'll say things like, have fun with your tribe. (laughs) (laughs) And whenever there's a cad's dinner, she always says, you know, say hi to the tribe, you know, because there is... It's more than just community. I mean, we're all in a community. We know that. But have you noticed, for, here's, here's my pitch for this. Have you noticed how when actors tell stories, tales from the trenches, you know, we, we entertain each other with these stories. None of those stories ever end with a punchline like, and then I got a great review. <laughs> <laughs> they never yeah. end with those kind of lines. They, they, they're yeah. always about some terrible tragedy or something that went wrong some something that happened that made you look stupid or you, you felt stupid the way you fuck something up and yeah. it's all about that you know it's always the measure to me it's always the measure of an actor when the stories they tell the more they are about terrible things that happened to them yeah. or the way that they yeah. screwed up self deprecating the totally yeah. yeah, the actors are kind of go. Oh, yeah. we had a you know. I remember, I remember an actor saying to me once that I was doing a play and he'd done a production of the same play like a couple of years before, and I said something like, "Well, you know, you obviously know the play really well." He said, "Yes, yes. Well, we had a we had a much better time with it." <laughs> and I, you know, and, and, and I remember thinking, you know, and it, and it's. But it's it, it betray. Yeah, we all betray ourselves at some point or other. But you know, right. but actors. When actors talk about the real actors, are aware of just how fucking crazy this all is. Yeah, you know. And when I worked with Alan, you know, you mentioned Alan Alder. I worked with Alan, and he he said something really interesting, which I've which I've copied and stolen shamelessly. He said that when he talks about acting with students, he never uses the word real. Hmm. Because there's nothing, as far as he's concerned, there is nothing real about what we do. The word he uses is authentic. Mm. Interesting, yeah, me too. That we try, we try and make what we do as authentic as possible. Yeah. So, pe- so audiences are willing to suspend their disbelief. Yeah. You know, if it, I, yeah, I love it that. makes sense. If it was real, you know, the actor playing Othello would really kill Desdemona. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, and that would be the end of a very promising career for both. <laughs> but you know, but it, it's uh, it's an interesting marker, I find. Yeah, uh, 
I'm, I'm in uh, about a month or so, I've been asked to participate in a documentary about a show, a Canadian show called Mr. Dress Up, which is something that we all, all us Canadians watched as kids, kind of a Mr. Rogers, but he dressed up and, and he had something, you probably couldn't call it this these days on a kid's show, but he had something called the tickle trunk. And out of the tickle trunk would come... Costumes. Can I smell your baby's hair? <laughs> Step inside the tickle trunk. Get inside the tickle trunk. Uh, but I can't wait to talk about this and this because that was absolutely the most influential thing to me, the idea that I, I could just take a costume out and become something. And yeah, I never, when I started to meet method actors or people that took classes and, and, and uh, they were never happy with their work, I thought, but we're just making believe. Isn't that what we're doing? Yeah. We're just pretending and and, do, and doing it, as Alan said, authentically. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, get over yeah. yourself. It's exhausting. <laughs> One of the things that I love about camera work, as opposed to, because I hear all everyone speak about theatre work, and I, I hear that and I see that and I don't, I wish I ex- didn't experienced it myself when I if I do plays. But for camera work, I actually love the art of going, okay, so this is the wide shot, the mid shot, so the coverage. Um, you adjust depending on the show you're doing, depending yeah. on the shot, depending on blah, blah, blah. Every performance is adjusted accordingly mm. for that shot. And I love that bit. I love the figuring it out like a puzzle. Like, what do I offer? What do I hold? Because, oh, we're doing my coverage last or we're doing my coverage first. What do you hold back, but not at the expense of the other performers whose coverage it is? And I actually really like that that whole like like a puzzle, like fitting it in and figuring it out for each scene. Yeah, and directors must love you because you're you're participating in that part of it as opposed to actors that figure that's not their business. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. But also, when you did The Office, yeah. were you able to work that way or was there a degree no. of kind of prolonged improv where you didn't have to? Because I know in the American version of The Office, yeah. it seems that they had a kind of a manifesto where they had their characters and they had their script but they could not really break character, I mean, if, if they could help it, because they were intent on finding this kind of comic authentic- authenticity within yeah. the framework of the script and the story, and they kept going, going, going. I mean, so in a way, if that's what you did, how about instead of me answering what I'm asking you, why don't you answer <laughs> what I'm asking you? What, how, do, how was it to work on The Office? <laughs> how did you approach it? I liked your answer. Um, we we, uh, we didn't, it wasn't like, you know, when you do, here's your wide, your mid, your two shot, you cover it. It wasn't like that kind of um, a thing because of the documentary feel. They were very like, um, Ricky Gervais, Steve Merchant were very, the amount of conversations about, okay, but would this happen if this was real life, if this wasn't a TV show? If they, And I know since then I've heard them say they probably made a little too much of that and probably worked so hard at keeping the realism of if this was a real office and a real documentary. But I like that they did that personally. I like that every oh. single thing was like, well, how will we get that conversation when they want it to be private? Mm. But for me, there was obviously it was completely scripted because people think it is improv, but we would tend to, on option, they would ask us to, so say it was a scene with Dawn and Tim, me and Martin Freeman, they would ask us to chat. And, and get into the scene as right. written. And it was never like, most things I've done have never been like, it's this word exactly. It's not if, it's but, it's what, you know. And 
So there was a fluidity. And then when we got to the end of the written scene, they usually wouldn't call cut. They usually would carry on. And then the Tim and Dawn uh, flirting scenes were all, um, oh, let's just put a camera on you two. And I used to get Martin to like play with my hair and (laughs) do things that I wanted in the scene. I was was like, you're on camera. You can't say no. I I have tried on several sets to get Martin to play with my hair. Have you, dear? No, no, he's not very responsive. I don't find him very collaborative. (laughs) No, no, no. I uh, had my ways. It was a joy to do all of that. One of my favorite, I mean, I've been very lucky and loved all my jobs. And um, that was a favorite. It was very close to home. It was, Ricky doesn't like to work really much past 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he sounds like, he, he, he sounds he, like a He dream. sounds like Clint Eastwood. Clint, isn't Clint Eastwood a bit like that? Kind of, Is he? You know, yeah. Yeah, knock off at five. Doesn't matter yeah. how far you've gone in the day, you know. Lovely. It doesn't say cut. It says thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I, My, uh, I love that. Nice. I just I worked that. with a director named Stephen Campanelli, and St- Stephen uh, had has been the a camera op on all of Clint's films for the last mm. thirty years. So to hear that, I said to him, "Are all these stories true?" And he said, "Oh yeah, well, he'll he'll roll on rehearsal and and then say um, we got it." And actually, yeah. be like, well, um, but, but but what? And I, or Steve will say, yeah. Clint, it's your close-up. You sure you don't want to go again? Was I in focus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we're fine. Moving on. You know, which goes to that. what you were saying, Lucy, which I agree with. I, I don't, the idea, and this goes against everything we were saying about the theater. I don't yeah. love to do 30 takes no. of things. I really yeah. don't. I don't. And yet in the theater, you're doing hundreds of, of repeat performances also, which at some point, I does that ever tap that. out for you? What was the longest? What was the longest run you ever did, Fred? Uh, in terms of the numbers oh, of performances, uh, the longest run I ever did was, was I, that red? I did just over a year Ooh. in uh, in Fiddler. In Fiddler, wow. which is uh, on Broadway. That's so a lot of phlegm. The, that is a lot of phlegm, uh, boy. It's a lot of phlegm and a <laughs> lot of shoulder, <laughs> a lot of shoulder and phlegm. That's a lot. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was. Uh, but I tell you what, you know, that was a lot. I mean, I've done six month runs, nine month runs, but that was. Including the previews, that was well over a year. That's long. And I learned something about myself in that year, which is that, and I think you were about to allude to it, Eric, uh, you hit a kind of psychic wall where you think this is never going to end and I'm going to end up being absolutely shit if I'm not shit already. Uh, you know, as things start to fall apart, thing you you start losing laughs that were there, like you know, re- reliably for months, and suddenly uh-huh. they go. Moments that you really were like landmarks in the performance or in the evening to get you to the next, you know, would suddenly evaporate, and yeah. you feel a bit lost. And the energy, you know, why, why is why am I feeling so tired? Why you know why am I so slow? You you go through this phase of of I think kind of falling out of love with it uh, and yep. with mm-hmm. yourself in a mm-hmm. sense. And then it also it all comes back. Mm. Yeah. It all, suddenly it will all come back, not gradually. Sometimes it will just be in the course of an evening. You'll suddenly go, yeah, oh, this is why I'm here. Yeah. And then, of course, that, that last month, regardless of the run, how long it is, regardless of how tired you are, mm. regardless of how much it's cost you in terms of money that you could have been making on a big movie somewhere, <laughs> Your body's aching, you know, you're, you're tired. That last month, it's like you're running out of time. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. Every oh. show becomes absolutely oh. crucial because you've yeah. got to, it could be, you know, before it's over, 
And and I always found that's why I always found the last two the last two matinees in a run, the last Wednesday and the last Sunday and oh. the last Saturday. Those last two matinees always with me anyway. This is not I'm not saying this happens to anyone else are always the saddest. Wow. They're the two shows that always made me feel really depressed. Mm. Not because they're bad, but because I'm never going to do them again. Yeah. And somehow those two, the last two matinees have a kind of weird sort of uh, effect on me. Yeah. I, I find with matinees, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just too hungover to feel anything. <laughs> and that's when you turn up and that's when i turn up no i i was thinking that for me uh the longest run i did was uh was music man in new york that was a hundred some performances which is only a fraction wow. of, of your fiddler run but but it was long enough for me to go okay that was good that was plenty but for me it's about fear i love the fear that comes with beginning something i i'm scared the first 10 12 20 performances and i love that fear it's so it fuels you then there's this beautiful sort of honeymoon period period where I'm not afraid anymore and I'm just loving yeah, this. I'm yeah. the freedom of not being afraid. And then eventually you're like, God, I wish I was afraid of this again because now <laughs> I need something. I need a fire under my ass. Um, um, but I love that idea that of the sentimentality uh, near the end of a run, realizing that it is finite and, yeah. and particularly the matinees. That's very sweet. I love that. Mm, I did, I, my longest was one month and I, I went through like the five stages of grief at the whole thing. And I just went, this is our last performance, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, conversely, oh, I can't wait to a camera. <laughs> well, I, but I have to say that I, I did a, I did a, um, a production of, um, um, Oh God. Oh, blimey. Obviously made a huge impression. Well, yeah. No, 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 no. This is something that, that why I'm terrified about doing theaters again is because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm losing my memory, or at least I'm psyching myself out. No, I did uh, Death of a Salesman with Hal Holbrook. In, um, right. This was at the, um, uh, I would say, Great Lakes Theater Festival. And he was uh, unbelievable. And in fact, people, I uh, felt, didn't know that it was, he was probably the greatest um, Willie? Willie Loman ever because he was so real. He wasn't blustery. Anyway, the point is that I actually had... Um, panic attacks uh, about three quarters of the way through that run and because I was really trying to live as Biff you know we were making fun of the method actors but oh. I was living in a, a squalid flat in Cleveland and smoking prodigious amounts of cigarettes and drinking and kind of being a this profligate kind of you know horrible guy and 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 I thought it would imbue my performance with some again authenticity but what it really did was <laughs> it freaked me out because that that play you're basically having a monumental confrontation with your father every night, every show. And in me trying to get, you know, so truthful, I kind of ruined myself. And mm. um, and I almost fled the stage several times. I was so yeah. out of my mind with fear. I just couldn't do it. Huh. But I stayed, obviously. But I could not wait. I could not wait. Every, every time I signed in, you sign in at the beginning of the show... I was counting the days, counting the days, and you could see the calendar, and I was, oh, it was a nightmare. Wow. Anyway, so long, everyone. (laughs) Sunshine. Anyway. Well, I mean, there is is a danger, and I think it's something that we all recognize, that there is a danger of kind of sentimentalizing working in the theater, especially if, if actually when you look at it realistically, one's making one's living in screen work. I mean, I make my living as a film and TV actor, right. 
but going back to the theatre is like this this habit that I can't quite kick. It's the the, the call of the siren. You're kind of going, oh, you know, oh, can I do it? Do I really want to do another play? I'm really enjoying having my evenings free. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm having I'm having such a lovely time. Do I really want to go back? And you know, inevitably, you will go back because. I don't know, it's like a terrible dysfunctional relationship that you can't quite get out of. <laughs> you just did one, Fred, right? Did you, didn't you just do something in New York? Uh, uh, no, no, I did. Uh, the, the most recent thing I did um, on stage was uh, just before the lockdown. We did The Father oh. at the uh, at oh, and Pasadena I, Playhouse. And I saw you in The Father and you were brilliant. And I'd never seen well, it before. thank you, thank you. Uh, no, it was, it was a fantastic production. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, and amazing. We were dead lucky because we got in just under the, you know, we, yeah. we clutched. And if Here's the sad part. This is the sad part about theatre. No one said goodbye because on the last night, the whole cast were due to meet up the following week to rehearse. We were going to do um, a little fundraiser for the theatre and we were going to do a kind of celebrity uh, charades kind of evening. Right. And they had a whole bunch of actors lined up, you know, all had a connection with the Playhouse. So we didn't say goodbye. We, you know, at the end of the at the end of the last show, we just kind of went, "Yeah, see you Monday, take care." And then, oh. of course, literally mm. two two or three days after we closed the show, the lockdown happened, and that was it. And it was and what a uh, lighthearted play! Too. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I saw that too with you, and of course, it's fantastic. And of course, I immediately think, how can you do that night after night? How to go to that place? And you know, you know, you don't have to be some intense method person like we're mocking. I mean, you just if you jump into a lake, you're going to get wet, and it just it must <laughs> permeate you. You must be a joy to live with, Fred. I don't know. I'd love, I'd love to know what the other actors in the in this meeting think. <laughs> uh, I I think to quote, uh, I think it's Nora Ephron, uh, who said, "Everything is copy." Everything, yeah. every every experience is available. Uh, everything you go through in your life can be used and you know re reused, retreaded. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, and I, 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 and this is to my shame in a way, but I remember when my mother died. She died. She she'd gone back home to live in after she retired after many years in England. She went back to live in her village in, in Italy where she was born, and uh, she met an old sweetheart there, and you know, ended up living with this guy, lovely guy. She, so the last few years of her life were very, very happy and relaxed and, you know, after a long life of, you know, tough life. And she passed away quite young. And because it was, you know, in Italy, it's, you know, open casket or you had it all over. It was a bit like a, one of the, it's like a scene cut from The Godfather. Oh. And uh, my brother was there and all these friends and family, everyone crying, screaming, you know, it was like so operatic. And I can remember standing there because I was the eldest son. I had to kind of usher everyone in. I remember standing there thinking, I must remember this feeling because mm. it might be useful one day. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as, as soon as I thought it, I was so ashamed of myself. But then afterwards, I, I talked about it with a couple of actor friends of mine about it. And they all kind of went, oh, yeah, we all do that. Yeah. yeah. We, 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 I was instructed <laughs> to do that. I had, I had intensive training in college with this fantastic – mentor of mine. Her name was Joan Potter and she had studied 
with Lee Strasberg, and she revered him as a god. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of controversy about his teaching versus Stella Adler's and everything. But one of the main presets is you, everything is copy. And I, you know, and as a young actor, learning at at weddings and funerals and small bits and large bits, I was I was I was assembling what I thought was a kind of a, a file of usable yeah. things. But at the same time, later on, I thought it won't really work at the end of the day because you're not fully and I'm talking about me, I wasn't fully experiencing the thing when it was happening because I was making a mental note to use it and that took me out of what was happening. I mean, luckily, I'm not that deep or brilliant an actor so that I can get away with being kind of like superficial, you know? (laughs) I'm making a joke there, so feel free to say, oh, no, Stephen, no, not at all. But Uh, you sat there totally believing me. Yes, absolutely. No, in post, we'll put it in me saying, you're well, actually, my, my joke was going to be when you said you were, it was superficial, my joke was, oh, I'm just fishel. Oh. <laughs> I'm just a, a fishel in a <laughs> mediocre way. You're superficial. Uh, <laughs> I'm just fishel. I think there's, you know, but to your point, Stephen, I, I fear sometimes, uh, it's not that I'm thinking, oh, I'll use this in, in my acting, but, but I, a, a real moment will be happening and some part of me will be going, am I doing everything I'm, I'm supposed to do? I, yeah. I, I was involved in a load of legal shit recently and there was a point where we may have to go to court and I was prepared for their side because it was hell for me. And oh. and I, I for the first two years of it, I was in Vancouver doing Sabrina and I was so grateful just to have that, just to have something because every day I would have four, five, six emails from different attorneys mm. going, we need this. They said that, they said this. And, um, wow. and, but I knew that if we got to the court point, that I, I mustn't break down. I mustn't, I must just keep as neutral as I can because I will be accused of being an actress right. and, and faking it. And I was trying to think, what should I say if, if I ask that? And I thought, well, to be fair, I'll probably just say you ain't the first and you won't be the last. Does it mean because wow. we're not actors, we can't actually have an emotion that's genuine? I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's, it's quite a real thing. I think people also forget with actors that one of the things, for me anyway, that when I'm on set, I love being this whole different person and acting in real life. If someone actually says to me, um, oh, could you go up and give a speech? Just like now, I'm like, what? Yeah. It was me, like me, <laughs> you know. And 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 I'm yeah. distinctly uncomfortable with that. So the the acting bit is that we hide a bit behind the role and the right. and wanting to be someone else. Um, so actually, you know, being in court is like that's more terrifying because now I'm just me. Yeah, yeah, but I, and also there's a whole thing of actors. Do we manipulate our feelings? to create an effect and therefore when those feelings are genuine are they devalued but the other truth of course is that most actors are terrible public speakers terrible that's why we all get podcasts yeah Yeah, the two things don't necessarily go together yeah people think because you're an actor you must be the most confident person in the world and i i would probably describe myself as an extroverted introvert right Here's something that maybe we can discuss before finally we just run out of steam. Is that how many, you know, how many how many times have we made asses of ourselves going up to other actors whom we admire? 
And I, I have done it so often mm. because I've, I worship these people and I did it to Hugh Laurie once. I mean, I, mm. I saw him. I think this is probably in Vancouver at the Sutton Place. Really? And I was probably right. coming from dinner where I had had a few, you know, Manischewitzes and I was drunk. <laughs> and, and, and there he is walking in and I think I, I lapsed into some broken, misremembered, speech from Blackadder, like, oh, and he looked at me with pity and understanding, but he dispatched with me quite quickly, quite ably. Oh, thank you very much. And he's not that guy, you know, he's so articulate. So here's my Eric McCormick type question. So has anybody here, what, what actors have you humiliated yourself in front of? I can I go on. I did a film called The Gambler years ago um, with Michael Gambon. And I was really quite young and maybe like 23 or something. And um, it was filming in, I want to say, Hungary. Anyway, I got there. I um, don't have facial recognition. And so I could... Aphasia. You have aphasia. Yeah, I could be chatting with you now and meet you in five minutes out of context. No idea. At my wedding, I was speaking to my cousin for 15 minutes thinking, I know I know her. And (laughs) and it just took, it's just who I am. So I get there the first night. They'd already been filming for a few weeks. I had like three tiny scenes in this film. And we go out for dinner. There's a big group and I'm sitting opposite Michael Gambon. No idea. And then we didn't have like, you know, IMDB and social media to look people up so I don't embarrass myself. Michael was so nice. And I say, what role were you playing? <laughs> and he's playing the gambler in The Gambler. And, <laughs> um, and so he's, because he's a gentleman, he answers me. And, um, and I said, how long are you here for? Because I was there for like a week. And he, he said, you know, you know, the three months. And I said, oh, nice. You must have a lovely role. And that's how I began my relationship with uh, Michael Gambon and I remember <laughs> and he was the nicest person in the world and I remember about halfway through my stay coming into the trailer one day and hear, hearing being called Michael and I was like dear God just Michael Gambon <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God you can't take that shit back <laughs> you can't what about you Fred well there's one uh, the one I remember uh, you know, with um, David Oyelowo who's I'm, oh, yeah, I'm happy to right. say is, is, a, is a good friend what a great actor he is. And a brilliant actor. And when we first worked together was on um, Ken Branagh's movie of As You Like It. Mm. And uh, David was playing Orlando okay. uh, with um, uh, Rosalind was Bryce Dallas Howard. And, right. And I was playing Touchstone. Oh, yeah. I'm in the makeup chair one morning and David has the day off. But he shows up dressed up wearing this really fabulous suit. And I said... Wow, David, you look amazing. And he said, "Yes, I've I've got to go into town. I've got to go to uh, to the RSC." And I went, "Oh, have you got an audition?" <laughs> and he said, "No, I'm going to a board meeting." <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I felt this small. Oh. I felt so stupid. Oh my god! But, uh, luckily, he uh, he forgave my faux pas. <laughs> But I did feel a bit silly. Mine yeah. for sure has to be meeting Victor Garber. Do you guys know oh, Victor? Sure. Yeah. So, so I'm. This is before Will and Grace. It's '97. I'm shooting something in Toronto, and 
uh, and I'm in the gym, and Victor walks in, and I've got my headphone. I'm, I've got a Sony Walkman, I think. It's 97, and I'm wearing big headphones, <laughs> and I'm listening to Big River, the, the Broadway soundtrack of Big River, um, because I'm macho. And, uh, and, and I, so, so I'm watching Victor walk in, and he gets on the machine, and all I can think with Big River in my ears is I've got to meet him. I've got, I, I have to. What am I going to do? I'm on the treadmill and I'm just treading and I'm treading and I'm thinking and I'm scheming. How do I get over? And all of a sudden he starts to go. He's only been in there for a few minutes. I go, it's, it's going to be too late. So I pull off my headphones to try to talk to him, but the treadmill is still treadmilling. So it shoots me off the back. <laughs> And sm- I smash into the glass of the Sutton Place Hotel, and I f- crumble on the ground. And and he runs over to me and he goes, "Are you all right?" And I'm and I'm saying, "I just I, I just, and I'm trying to tell him how much I love him." And meanwhile, my giant headphones are had fallen off, and now the soundtrack of Big River is playing as I as I tell him how much I love him, uh, and and say, "Godspell, it's really hard." And he forgave me. Oh. I can see by the dead look in uh, Stephen's eyes that yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's through and yeah. uh, has the. He can go though. <laughs> he hasn't um, brought anything to it. No, that's not how this works, Luce. Okay. I want to. I want to say uh, on behalf of Stephen and I, this was so much fun. You guys, we're really so grateful you joined us and ate oh, a little bit. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. We didn't us. think it would be this much fun. We didn't think it would be yeah. go well this- at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have to say, I was like, fine. <laughs> but here we are. So come back and, and, and we'll match you up with other people. It'll be like the dating game. It'll be- <laughs> oh, yeah, do that. It'll be fun. I'm dating. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking right. you up on it seriously. Thank you. We love you guys. Thank you, Thank you so much. I hope my darlings love you. <laughs> <laughs> 